0: hello i'm claire from wild ginger running the trail and ultra running youtube channel and this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete coach or other running expert the link to the original film on youtube is in the show notes check out my instagram and youtube channel for more training advice inspiration and gear reviews everything is wild ginger running and my blog is wildgingerunning.co.uk Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more.
1: Hello and welcome to another Wild Ginger Running live session. I'm Tim, I'm a physiotherapist and endurance coach. I'm stepping in for Claire today, uh, a little bit last minute, so just bear with me um, during the, the weekly live session. And uh, we've had a couple of questions come through on the Facebook page, but I'm afraid, like I say, it's a bit last minute, and I've not actually got the um, the sessions, the the questions rather uh, cut and pasted to appear on your screen in front of you. Uh, but let me just load up the um, the Facebook page in front of me here. So there's a couple of questions regarding. Um, fast packing. So I mentioned that uh, we're doing it tonight rather than Wednesday because I'm off uh, doing a couple of days uh, non-stop in the lakes doing a bit of fast packing there and I thought I'd maybe have a chat about sort of why I'm doing that and why as runners we might want to include a little bit more walking and hiking into our normal sort of training program. Well the first reason is if we're doing a lot of these ultra marathon events is we're out there for maybe 10, 15, 20, maybe even 30 hours. Uh, I'm doing a race in September, which I'm expecting to take at least 30 hours. Now, we can't go out and replicate those kind of times in our weekly long run. But we still need to practice um, some of the psychological aspects of being out there for a long time. We need to practice our nutrition strategies. We may need to practice uh, being out there at night time, and are you competent and confident navigating at night with a head torch? So incorporating some big, long hiking sessions and maybe multi-day hiking sessions, so when we're thinking about races that might be taking us 20 or 30 hours, we're generally going from one day into the next, so we're doing essentially multi-day events. So going out there and just hiking all day, so you're doing 10, 12 hours on your feet, just steady hiking, all this sort of fast packing idea. So you might be jogging some of the flats or run, walk, run, walk, maybe jogging some of the easy downs, but otherwise just hiking. That gives us that time on feet. It teaches us that we are on the go all all day, nonstop rather than we go for a run for three hours and even if we're doing a double run day we might do an hour or two in the morning and an hour or two in the evening. But it's not the same, as just continually on the move. Um, so again, it, it teaches your brain to be constantly on the go, teaches your energy systems to be constantly on the go, but without the same kind of impact and pounding forces going through your legs. So it's a much safer way to get that big time on feet. Um, and I'm going out there, and I'm going to do um, about sort of 30-odd miles tomorrow with a friend of mine He's going to do the, the Abraham's tea round. We're going to melt in this heat, so it'll be a steady way, stopping at every piece of water we can come across and, and having a little swim. Um, and then I'm going to just carry on with that um, and then just go out into the into the hills, into the lakes, um, and plan A, depending on how hot it is, is to then go and do a, a BG, a Bob Graham, over two days. But just that continually hiking, moving, and that three, uh, as the song goes, three is a magic number, and I've certainly found with myself and with a lot of my athletes, that if you've got a really big ultra endurance event, so something in the kind of 100 miles plus range, if you can get three days on your feet, roughly three to six weeks prior to the event, that just gives you an epic uh, endurance boost, that aerobic capacity boost. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot of hard running, so it's just steady time on feet, but the knock-on effect of that is absolutely brilliant in and a, and a few weeks after that when it all kicks in. So if anybody has got any big long endurance events, you know, maybe it's a 100 miler, maybe it's big long mountain events, maybe 100k uh, in the Alps where you know you're going to be out there still for uh, sort of 20 hours plus... Trying to get a couple of long days on your feet, just hiking, not running, just hiking, will really set you up. Now, the hiking bit is also really important for maybe some of our other sort of shorter time duration um, trail events or running events. Because, let's be honest, we call ourselves ultra runners or trail runners, but do we run every single step of those races? And the short answer is no, isn't it? So, making your walking pace as fast as possible, and I've talked about this in some of the other videos I've done for Claire in the past, but making that walking pace as fast as possible means that your slowest pace is maybe going to be faster than the other people around you. Um, interestingly, one of my athletes who just finished uh, 100 miler last weekend, uh, the Dragon 100 miler in, in Wales. And although we have sort of worked on on walking with him uh, and incorporated that with going out doing um, walks with his wife, so more sort of social walking, and that's probably where the problem is, is he noticed that when he was running, he was running faster than everybody else around him in the race. But when he was walking, the other people would then go past him. So his walking pace wasn't quick enough. And that's something we need to work on. Um, And it's probably because when he's gone out and done his walks with his wife, they have been a more social and more leisurely uh type of a walk. Whereas what we need to be doing as trail runners and ultra runners is going out there and walking, but making it very purposeful, trying to make that walk as fast as possible. And if you practice that making your walking super quick, it means that when you are power hiking up a hill or taking a, a, a walk break when you're on the flats is that walking pace will naturally be quicker. So just make it that as soon as you're walking, your body only knows how to walk fast, not slowly. So it just means that, yeah, that slowest pace is faster than um, than maybe the other people around you. Uh, Because let's be honest, there is a big chunk of some of these races where we are walking. So we might as well practice it in training. And think about the, the comment I made before about this sort of time on feet and sort of training your body to be going all day. That's where, again, you can bring walking into your training programme by maybe going for a run first thing in the morning, but then going for a walk at lunchtime. And then in the evening, again, either going for another run or going for another walk. Trying to add in extra walking throughout your working day. So, you know, if we are um, still working from home, then trying to get that sort of mid-morning, mid-afternoon break and just go for a quick walk around the block rather than just sitting still all day for sort of eight hours. Um, If we are going out, doing errands, then again, walk rather than drive if you can. Gets that extra little bit of training into the legs. And if you maybe record that and monitor how much you're doing, you'll probably find by the end of the week there's a big chunk of your training time which has actually been walking, and you've built that up. Um, A good friend of the show, um, Rachel Sheldrick, uh, I spotted she put a post out the other day about her sort of split of run training and non-run training, so hiking, strength and conditioning, swimming, uh, aqua jogging, stuff like that. And what she's found is it's now a 50-50 split. So 50% of hours is running, but 50% of it is hiking and strength and all this kind of stuff. So think about how many hours a week of running you're doing. Are you doing the same number of hours in non-running activities which support your running? So there's a question for you. So... um, So that would be the idea about going out there and trying to just hike and and fast pack all day. So what are some of the things that you maybe want to think about if you are going fast packing or trying to include a couple of long days on your feet? Well, if you're going out into the into the hills, it's a question of are you going to be camping out there? Are you going to be wild camping, or are you going to be making use of camp sites? Uh, or maybe if you're going out to the mountains, making use of mountain huts, whether that's bothies in the the UK and, and Scotland, um, or if you're over in U- Europe, then obviously there's a fantastic network of mountain huts that you can access. So I was thinking about the the, the routes that you you're doing. Uh, think about what the resources are along route. So my plan is I'm going to be wild camping. Uh, Bear in mind, actually, you know, going out to the Lake District, technically speaking, you're not supposed to wild camp. But then there are rules to kind of get you around that in terms of making sure that you're out of sight, that you're um, not interfering with um, uh, sort of watercourses in terms of any sort of toileting. Uh, Think about where your, your tents are, not using sort of cooking facilities, which are going to risk a, a wildfire, which is obviously a major issue at the moment. Um, the land is obviously so very, very dry. Um, so think about are you going to be wild camping in terms of taking a tent? Are you going to be taking a bivy bag or just a, a tarp? What kind of kit are you going to need at night time versus daytime? So are you going to need a, a, a decent sleeping bag? Or in this weather here, you can probably make do with just a, a very thin uh, sleeping bag but you may want then that sort of change of clothes for sleeping in versus your running kit day to day. Um, I'm planning on using the same running kit for the the two days, so I'll just accept the fact that I'm going to be smelly by the end of the the second and and third day. Um, But having something to change into in the camp is is, um, obviously something to think about there. And then it's about sort of your your hydration and your nutrition. So food-wise, you want to be thinking about Maybe taking dehydrated food out with you. So, there's lots of products out there on the market where they've got dehydrated pouches of some, you know, really quite. Tasty foods, actually. Um, and another great friend of the show, uh, Jen Scotney, I know she's done quite a lot of wild camping, a lot of uh, fast packing recently. And she put a post out, I think it might be on her Instagram page. So check out Jen's Instagram page uh, where she was talking about some of the different um, products that she's been using when she's been going out fast packing. So I'm not going to repeat uh, what Jen has already talked about but i would often go for the the dehydrated products rather than the old school um boiling the bag so going back to the military days of um our sort of ration packs whereas you know you, you boil that product uh, in in water uh, to heat it up but of course you're carrying a lot of liquid and a lot of moisture in those already so go for the dehydrated ones where which are going to be a lot lighter but then, of course, you've got a source of water when you're out there. So again, this comes back to our route finding uh, and our route decision making <coughs> in terms of where are we going to get our water from to do our cooking? So where are you going uh, to be intending to camp or, or bivvy down? So that's something you need to think about there. And again, with the water, obviously you can't be carrying enough water for two or three days. So you're going to have to be refilling on the go. Um... And I have had giardia in the past, so that nasty uh, gut infection uh, bacteria, which is not fun, I do not recommend. So you've got to be thinking about how you're going to purify this water. So, generally, uh, just for ease, I will take purification tablets. Uh, The water doesn't taste very nice after it, but it's easier than taking uh, something like a a pump, which is going to filter that water out so it's a little bit lighter in terms of weight. You can get things like live straws, which have got filters in them. And, of course, you can get other water purification uh, equipment. It's just it, it weighs a little bit more, and I'm trying to go as light as possible. But if you're not worried about that too much then there are other water purification systems out there where you've maybe got to pump it through and it just takes a little bit of time to get your water through. Whereas with tablets, fill your bottle, pop a tablet in, wait 15 minutes and it's good to go. And if you're taking some, maybe some electrolyte tablets which have got a bit of flavour, or maybe some tailwind stick um, sachets or uh, other um, powdered energy drink, then when you mix it in there, then you don't taste the, the chemicals of the water purification tablets. And then thinking about, you know, how are you going to carry this all? So you have to think about, obviously, a, maybe a larger pack than you would normally use when you're out running your sort of running vest in uh, terms of that. But, of course, the bigger the rucksack you take, the more stuff you're going to be tempted to put in it, so the heavier it's going to get. So, again, I would say go for the smallest pack that you can possibly manage. I'm going to be using the Montane 20+, uh, um, Plus, uh, the Gecko, Um uh, Behind me here, it is called Gecko, isn't it? The new version. There we go. Brain's leaving me. Yes, Gecko VP20. So, same style as um, the usual running vests, but it's just got a much larger capacity, so I can get um, get all the kit that I need um, for the couple of days into there. Um, and you, again, you've got your soft flask on the front. You've got pockets everywhere for your, your kit. It's just got a much larger pack on the back. But, you know, in the past, I've taken my more alpine mountaineering pack, which is a lot bigger. But the problem is you're tempted to then put more kit in, so then you're carrying more kit and then your energy needs go up, your hydration needs go up. So again, I would encourage you to, if you are going to do this, take the smallest kit possible, go as light as possible, but still being safe. So again, you've got to think about the conditions you're going out in, what's the weather going to be like. you know, it might be fine during the day, but is it going to get cold at night? I've been caught out in the past. Uh, that sort of, or oh, must be best part of fifteen, if not no, more like twenty years ago. Um, I was going out and doing a fast packing trip before going out and climbing Kilimanjaro um, and quickly discovered that my sleeping bag, which I thought was decent for cold weather, wasn't. So the next day it was uh, straight into Keswick to get a a better sleeping bag. Um, So yes, make sure that you're taking adequate equipment for the conditions that you're in. Um, Hopefully in the the conditions we've got at the moment, uh, cold is not one of the uh, sensations I'm going to feel over the next few days. Quite the opposite. So that's maybe a couple of things to to think about in terms of if you want to add in some big, long hiking days or maybe even some some fast packing into your training. Um, Then there was a question, uh, I can't quite find it now on the Facebook page, but I'm sure I saw something pop up about going hiking, but then an altitude and thinking about dealing with heights and maybe sort of fear of heights. Um, I can't remember, I'm afraid I'd have actually lost where that was posted, but I'm sure somebody did stick a a post on there somewhere. i am just have another quick look on the the Facebook page to see if I can find who it was from. Um, No, it seems to have disappeared. Uh, Maybe they've actually taken that post down, but I'll I'll answer that question anyway. Um, I mean, a fear of heights is—I have to admit—is something that I deal with as well. Um, and even going climbing, uh, it is something that I have to get over. Fear of, of heights is a normal, natural sensation to to have. So I think the first thing is, if you are um, if you are nervous or, or even scared of heights, is be kind to yourself because it's a very normal, a very natural feeling to have. But if you are running on some of these more exposed uh, trails, maybe some ridges, some balconies, things like that. Is thinking about well, what is it that you're you're scared of, and other other things that are going on in your life, which is adding to that extra anxiety. Uh, and often, if we've got other anxiety um, issues that are feeding into us, then any kind of fear of the heights that we're at will be amplified. Getting used to um, heights and getting used to that altitude. comes with essentially just um, uh, repeated exposure. So you might find if you've not been uh, at altitude or uh, at at heights for a long time, when I'm saying altitude I'm I'm meaning just more kind of exposed areas rather than actual kind of physiological altitude, but if you've not been um, in sort of more exposed areas or or running in, in higher terrain is you might find that just as the time goes on, you just get more and more used to it. Your confidence builds up again. So it might be a case of before you're going out to the mountains, is put yourself in some scenarios where you are just you know stood up on a on a raised area on a on a um, whether it's on a kind of wall or ledge or something like that, and just get used to being that few foot off the ground. Working on things like your balance, so improve your confidence of being uh, able to balance. So in in my garden, um, I've got set up as kind of play things for the kids, um, little balance beams Uh, and little sort of uh, well, basically it's a plyo box. It's a, a big wooden box with some little rungs built up into it. So I can practice um, towing in. So if I'm um, doing some mountaineering where I'm going to be on crampons, so I can get my hard boots out, my winter boots, and just get used to just getting my toes on a ledge and just walking up and down this box. I can get used to just walking along a very narrow beam. It's only a couple of inches off the ground, but it just gets you used to that balancing, gets your brain and your proprioception kicked in for uh, balancing on narrow terrain. So you get used to that, and then when you're up high... Again, you, you know you've got the confidence, you know that you can balance. So it gives you that extra level of um, confidence when you're maybe in those kind of um, scenarios. And you can challenge yourself. So you can be doing things like step ups and step downs, but with your eyes closed. So again, take out that element of your balance and make you really think about your joint senses and feel where your body's at. Improve that when you're then in that kind of terrain, you've got the confidence that when you know you put your foot down on something and you take your weight, you know you're going to balance because you've done it hundreds of times at home in training. So that's kind of some some things maybe to think about in terms of if you are going running uh, on more sort of higher mountainous terrain. Um, I'd encourage you, if that is something um, that you feel you struggle with, um, I mean, I've got friends in my running club who struggle with going up our local hill, which is, I mean, it's not even a mountain, but even just going up a a very uh, steep incline on a grassy bank, and they freak out at that because they're so scared of heights. Um, what I would say is, you know, if that is something that you struggle with, is have a listen to some of my colleagues' podcasts and and sort of interviews on lattice training. So there's a uh, if you're not if you're not into climbing, if you're not aware of it, lattice training is a fantastic coaching company. I do a bit of work with them as well uh, with my physio hat. Um, and support um, their their athletes and their uh, clients on their private Facebook group as well. So if anybody's a, a member of Lattice 365, you'll, you'll know me from there as well. But they do a lot of uh, interviews, a lot of webinars, and there's a few um, YouTube clips that they've got on their channel, which is looking at fear. So, OK, we're talking about climbing there uh, and getting over the fear of falling or fear of being at, uh, at heights and things like that. But this is where we as runners can learn a lot from other sports and in this case learning from our climbing colleagues. So if you want to look a little bit more about that, then maybe go and have a listen to some of the Lattice Training uh, YouTube clips there. I'll try and maybe put a a link in the the comments afterwards on this YouTube clip. Um, So then uh, I've just had a question come through here from... Chris Williams. So let me follow on to that one, and then I'll go back to the Facebook page. So Chris is saying, I'm not so much of a runner really, Um, oh, I can actually click that onto the page, can't I? Uh, There we go. So I'm not so much of a runner really, but here goes, I walk quite a lot, and usually wear my Mendel boots, but recently wearing Solomon uh, X Ultra 3s, let me get in pain in both of my feet. Okay. So it depends on um, what kind of pain and where you're getting it, Chris. Um, if it's more again hiking, and this is where some of the running shoe companies are actually sort of shifting over and trying to um, fill a bit of a gap in the the hiking market as well. So uh, I know sort of Innovate and Hoka uh, have uh, produced some more hiking boot versions of uh, some of their their footwear, just to give you that little bit of extra ankle support. Um, and it might just be that, again, the, the Solomons um, are just not fitting your, your foot shape properly. So... It depends what the heel-toe drop is on your Mendel boots. Uh, Solomons generally have a slightly higher heel-toe to drop, so maybe, again, that's just not quite fitting um, your, your natural ankle and foot shape. Uh, Solomons are a little bit on the narrower side compared to uh, a lot of other shoes out there, so um, other versions being like maybe the wide-fitting um, Ultras, for example. So it might be if you've got quite wide feet that Solomon are just a little bit too narrow for you and then just squeezing your feet, so that might be something there. Or again, if you're used to um, more hiking boots, which are obviously a a stiff sole um, and you're used to being able to kind of put your foot down on a a jagged rock and just the thickness and the toughness of that sole uh, can take it. Whereas your uh, running shoes are going to be a lot more pliable and going to mould. So those small little jagged bits of rock that normally you can just put your flat foot straight down onto. um, You put your more kind of Solomon shoes down onto them and they're going to give and you're going to feel that pressing up into your foot. So that's something else to be aware of. Um, Here we go. Chris has followed up. So it's on the top of the feet, sort of big toe uh, coming round. Uh, so if it's on the top of the foot there, so that might be more the, the tendons running from your big toe coming up through the, the sort of front of the ankle, as it were. And that might just be that the laces are too tight. Um, so if your feet are swelling, then the the top of the shoes, then squeezing down that, yeah, on the sort of bony part. So that's probably the kind of knuckly bit on the, the top of the foot there. So if the, the laces are squeezing down on there, uh, for, let's just see if I can, everyone else can follow the uh, the conversation that's appearing on my screen there. So Chris is following up. So saying it's on the, the sort of bony bit of the, the top of the foot. So that will be where the tendon's running underneath there, you've got a, uh, some connective tissue holding that down in place, and it might just be that the laces are just pressing down on the top of the foot, just rubbing on that tendon, causing that irritation. So um, you know ought to be looking at, maybe changing the the lacing structure, or with um, I'm not sure what the Solomon ultras they got their uh, their quick lace system on those. I think they do, don't they? So what you can't necessarily do is, is change your your lacing um, sort of pattern to miss out that section to reduce that pressure. But it might just be trying to uh, have slightly looser lacing um, over the top of that foot. It might be a case of looking at. Um, stretching out the calf. So sometimes what we're doing is working the muscles on the front of the foot a lot harder to pull the toes up um, because the calf is tight at the back. So loosen off the the calf and you find that the muscles at the front of the shin don't need to work quite as hard. Or what you may need to do is also get into the front of that shin uh, and massage the muscles through the front of the shin where they're running down into that tendon through the front of that foot. Um, If you have a look on my personal YouTube channel um, and again, I'll, I'll put a link in the um, the comment section of this one afterwards. Um, I've got some videos on some massage techniques for the front of the shin, which would then address the tightness, if that is the case in you there. So hopefully that answers your question there, Chris. Um, now, if I go back to the Facebook page here, which follows on quite nicely, um, Arlene uh, matelock is asking... Uh, question about shoes so hiking boots or trail runners better uh, and when would extra support around the ankle as in boots be needed uh, and a lot of, And again she's saying here yeah so a lot of trail shoe companies are coming out with high top shoes so under what conditions if ever should they be used so good that sort of again follows on from what i was just saying there yeah, I used to, you know, do a lot of these hiking trips in my hiking boots, but as I've gone on more and more ultra running, then I will generally stick with my um, ultra running shoes, um, and more sort of trail running shoes. And even in the Alps, going up to maybe sort of mountain huts, which I'm then going on to climb later, I will do the approach in my more trail running shoes because they are lighter, they're more comfortable, they're more breathable rather than boots. But this is, yes, where some of these companies are bringing out those sort of hybrids of kind of trail running, but with a bit more ankle support. And certainly for some people who have quite unstable ankles, then having that little bit of extra support around the ankle, uh, people report that makes them feel that bit more secure. So rather than needing to tape their ankles or uh, use ankle braces, it just gives them that little extra bit of support. so I think if it is more of a a long distance hike type um, session that you're doing, so maybe it is a multi day. I'm thinking as the classic being something like the spine race, uh, which goes past very very near where I live here. Um, then something like that hybrid might not be a bad shout. If you are going somewhere where there's going to be maybe a, a large amount of scree and you're not wanting maybe to wear uh, gaiters as well. Then having that sli- slightly higher ankle might give you a little bit of extra support there. Um, I'm um, testing and reviewing some of the last Sportiva Cyclones for um, wild ginger running, so I'll actually be using those over the next few days, and they've got that little bit of extra ankle support uh, and a bit of sort of inbuilt gaiter there. So it'll be interesting to see how good on when I'm running down some of the the scree slopes uh, this this next few days. So I think. It's, it's going to be personal preference. If you're very comfortable in those kind of approach shoe uh, type, um, type shoes where they've got maybe a bit of a stiffer sole, but it's more of that kind of hybrid of, of running shoe to, to walking shoe, then they're a good shout. Um, if it is going to be something where you're going to be very much kind of running with a bit of hiking, uh, very much run, walk, run, walk, then I'd probably go more for uh, my trail running type shoes. If it is something where it's very much of a hiking trip with maybe a very small amount of jogging, then I might go for something more like a high ankle uh, b- sort of running boots uh, or actually um, walking boots if it is going to be very much more of a hiking type trip. So I guess it really depends on what the uh, what the terrain is that you're going to be going on, what the purpose of the trip is in terms of is it a, a run-walk or is it just a hike, Um, And yeah, do you need that little bit of extra support there? So there's not going to be a straight answer to that question, Arlene, Um, but yeah, it it depends on what you're doing and what you're needing them for. Uh, And you know what we like, We, we like having lots and lots of different shoes for different purposes. So maybe this is a good excuse to go shopping and add to your collection. Uh, my wife despairs of me with the number of running shoes I've got. She doesn't quite understand how, you know, we need different shoes for different types of mud and different shoes for different types of rock and uh, different distances and so on and so forth. But yes, we need lots of different shoes, don't we? We do like buying shoes, uh, us not. Um, okay, if we'll I come back over to the YouTube questions here. John, hi John. So as a physio, do I ever prescribe a night splint? Um, to keep an irritated heel at an angle Uh, yes I do so um, things like Strasbourg socks uh, which is more the kind of sock with a strap coming from the big toe up to the the front of your shin to help pull the the toe and and, uh, foot up there there is evidence to show that in um, particularly kind of um, slow to respond problematic uh, sort of plantar fascia Achilles uh, tendon problems they can be useful um, they don't put a lot of force through the foot. So if we're needing more, then yes, again, there is evidence to show that in some cases a a boot, so a night nice splint, can be useful. It just stops, obviously, your feet flopping down, pointing your toes down, so the calf and Achilles and, and plantar fascia all kind of shorten, and then you get up in the morning, you've got to stretch it all out. So it stops that happening. Um, the only problem with that is, of course, that... They are quite uncomfortable. Um, Even the Strasbourg sock can be quite uncomfortable. Uh, And the boot most definitely is uncomfortable. So is it going to disturb your sleep? Um, And and sleep's really important as well. Um, Sometimes if I find my my calves, my Achilles are getting super tight because I'm doing a a lot of training, um, I will sometimes um, put my Strasbourg sock on just to uh, put things on a bit of a stretch. But often what will happen is I'll wake up halfway through the night and I'll I'll be annoyed with it and I'll take it off. But often that half a night just means when I do get up in the morning, I haven't had, uh, I want to say, eight hours. But let's be honest, more like sort of six and a half, seven. Um, so, six hours sleep. Not good. Need more. I've had maybe sort of three to four hours where I've had it on a stretch and then maybe only another three or maybe four hours. Uh, where it's been relaxed so um, they can be useful definitely so if it is something I think you've asked questions in the past around your Achilles so it's obviously something that you're you're struggling with Um, then I would probably say first of all maybe try a Strasbourg sock Um, and if that gives you the the support you need at night time to stop everything tightening up great Um, if you're still struggling then yes uh, then paying that extra for a boot can be useful. But again, the long-term fix is about strengthening it, so it's going through your strengthening rehab protocols uh, to build that up. Um, so, OK, that hopefully answers John uh, and Chris's questions there. Let me go back to the Facebook page. Was there anything else coming up on the Facebook page? Um, so that was Arlene. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so Leon then followed up about the questions about doing um, fast-packing. So hopefully I've covered Leon's questions there. Uh, Yeah, nothing else showing up on either of those. Um, Come back to my e-camp. Here we go. Oh, John's followed up there. So, okay, so not much force, but a gentle nudge to the right angle. That's right. Yeah, so he's definitely on the mend. Uh, but sometimes feeling tight early in the runs. Yeah, so again, this is where if there's feeling a little tight early in the runs, you know, you might want to look at a, a pre warm up warm up where you do do a little bit of foam rollering or you do use a golf ball or a massage ball on the bottom of the foot just to get things moving, just to start to loosen them off. You know, foam rollering and things like that, it does have a temporary short term improvement on tissue length. Um, it's nothing magical, but it will have a temporary improvement. So if you do that, maybe sort of five, ten minutes, um, so as you're you're getting your running kit on, spend a couple of minutes just rolling your feet, rolling your calves, and then you go and get your running shoes, get your gear together, you know, another five minutes has passed, you do the first bit of your warm-up before leaving the house, you know, you've done that mobility stuff, maybe five, even ten minutes before you start running, but that effect will last, and it'll just mean those first few miles, or the first few minutes, of running, you're not dealing with that that tightness before you've loosened it all off. So I would do that. Um, as uh, another question just popped in here from, let's see if I can put that on there. So Jonathan Russell, so a long distance walker, including overnights, so saves on accommodation. Yeah, So just going straight through. Um, who needs to sleep? Started running, reached 10k fine, uh, but then developed a cyst under the middle of the left foot. the foot bends Um, uh, fine when it's hiking but wants to run again any suggestions so it depends on what kind of cyst it is um, and exactly what structures it's in uh, as to the answer to your question there but I'd probably link that back um, to the earlier question from Chris, as to you know, is it something about the running shoes that you were using versus um, the, the the sort of walking shoes or, or hiking boots that you've used previously? Uh, just see for everyone's benefit here. one popped up here, so not bad enough. To think of an op for one who have got any experience. Yeah, so. It might be a case of looking at, you know, can you can you offload that tissue? So, uh, resize that. Can you offload the tissue somehow? So is it a case of looking at your shoes so that you're not putting any pressure down on that cyst? So is it about changing the lacing structure of your shoes? Um, is it about padding it out? So it might be a case of adding some extra tape or some extra padding, sort of compete around that area just to give it yourself some extra extra, um, well, padding and support around that tissue, so that your shoes are not then rubbing and pressing on that. So that might be something to to think about there. Um, But yeah, it really depends on exactly what type of cyst and in what what tissues it has uh, formed. Um, Again, if it's a sort of fluid-filled cyst... You know they can they can try and drain them and they can you know inject them um, sort of steroid injections things like that. But the problem is you run at the risk of in- inducing an infection. So if you can avoid that, then do so at all costs um, because the chances are, you know, a cyst will then just fill back up again. Um, but we can often get these these cysts that form um, and they will then go away again. So it is sometimes a matter of just watch and wait. It might be a bit frustrating. So it really depends on maybe how long you've had it for. Um, But yeah, the the first thing I'll be looking at is why did it happen in the first place? Um, Was it something about your running shoes uh, which then created that rather than uh, it just kind of happening for the fun of it and just coming out of nowhere? Okay, does that answer your question there, uh, Jonathan? Um, Fine, any other questions? I don't know how many people are actually watching live. I've got a few showing up on here. Um... I'll just give you a minute just to see if anything comes through on the YouTube comments. So, if there's nothing else coming through, I think we've been going for just over half an hour. Um, there's a review that I did for the Supernatural fuel pouches, which is coming out next Monday. I think it's scheduled for release. So keep an eye on that. Uh, that's been in the pipeline for a little while now. So some of you may remember me posting about that on some of my social media channels um, rec- uh, well, a few months back now, actually. So keep an eye on that uh, and see what my thoughts were on the Supernatural fuel pouches. And then, as I mentioned, um, I'm going to be doing a review on the La Sportiva Cyclone shoes. So again, keep an eye on that one. That should hopefully be coming out quite soon as well. Um, And I'm also finishing off a review on different running insoles. So again, that'll be following up later on, maybe in the next sort of month or two. Uh, Claire will have that scheduled for release. So there's a few other things in the pipeline. Oh, Chris has just followed up with a final point. Let me just pop that on the screen. So what he's noticed is the Solomon um, Ultra 3s don't have as much of a heel drop. Um, So in terms of, yeah, so slightly higher um, heel compared to uh, maybe a flatter walking boot. So he's just going to change the whole angle of of how that foot is working. So the, the... Tissues at the the front of the ankle are going to be working at a more of a stretch position rather than in their normal sort of mid-range position. So it might just be that, yes, if they are a little bit tight at the front of the shin, you're now walking with them on a little bit of a stretch all the time, which is then making those tendons rub along the front of that ankle. So, yes, it would be a case of working into the front of that shin, so working through that muscle, the tibialis anterior um, and extensor hallucis and and... Uh, so on and so forth, getting into there, maybe using your thumbs, using your knuckles, uh, getting a golf ball, massage ball, something like that, so again, I've I've got some videos on my personal YouTube channel just demonstrating that for, for my clients, so maybe have a look at that, try loosening off those muscles at the front of the shin and see whether that fixes your problem. Um, but if not, if it, if it does persist, then obviously the advice would be go and see somebody in person where they can actually do a, a detailed assessment on you and hopefully that'll help. Okay, right. Well, thank you very much for joining us for another live session. Hopefully that's been useful. Covered a few different topics there. Um, like I say, make sure that, you, well, all you guys are patrons, so you're all subscribed to Wild Ginger. Um, but again, if you want to follow me personally, then I've got the links to my uh, personal uh, YouTube and uh, actually my YouTube's not up on there but my Insta uh, is up on there and you can find me on YouTube I think it's just the same Tim underscore Pigott or just Tim Pigott uh, on YouTube and you'll find my stuff there okay thanks very much and no doubt I'll see you for another live session in a few weeks all right see you later guys Bye bye
0: Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30 PM UK time on Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes.